Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning broadcast. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you very much. It's good to be with you again. Appreciate that. I got the feeling that there was as large a crowd on Sunday on Fifth Avenue as there was uh, during year 60. Um, the weather obviously helped. You had a bad spell of weather over the last few parades. The weather holding up obviously helped. Uh, but I think in general, when the big numbers out there, like 70 this year, plus the enthusiasm about the movement of the embassy, etc., which, you know, all those celebrations took place in April and May, I think it carried over. And the New Yorkers, New Jerseyans, and people from Florida, California, and Philadelphia especially, I don't know if you know, your hometown really came through at the parade on Sunday. Uh, they were all there on Fifth Avenue, so I thought we did pretty well on Sunday. Yeah, I saw the people over Mary in the schools, the others that came from, from Philadelphia, as yeah. you indicated. I also had the sense that it was um, a much bigger crowd, both on the side and marching and very enthusiastic so that was very encouraging to see that you know it's funny isolated stories and you probably hear a lot of these about people who grew up in environments that would never go to a celebrate israel parade who gave it a shot who just visited they were curious and now they tell me they're going to be bringing their kids next year and if people would only give it a chance and realize how wonderful it is to get together to celebrate israel it can really be a life-changing experience, frankly, but but not everybody's willing to do that, as you know. That's right, and it's very important that people also remember that it's not just the one shot a year, the one day of the year, as important as it is, but that we have to sustain the support. We see all the attacks and the growing attacks on campuses and communities, the um, manifestations of so many kinds in, in, against Israel, the reporting about what's going on. You know, today is a very critical day because it's uh, Al-Naqsa Day as opposed to um, the Nakba Day, Nakba both words essentially are to refer to devastation and destruction. One refers to the creation of the state. The other is the anniversary of the Six-Day War, which is this week. And they postponed it. It's a nitra to Friday so that it would also coincide with Al-Quds Day, Jerusalem Day. And you see around the world the Iranians are organizing these demonstrations. Al-Quds is really their creation. And the... the um, and manifestations, of course, in Gaza continue with these firebombs, and the, and the world doesn't condemn them, doesn't say anything about them. They destroyed thousands and thousands of acres uh, as of a day ago or so. It's like seven square miles, 4,300 acres, but many more since then. Forest fires, businesses destroyed, and a, a very dangerous thing because you can't, you can't know where it's going to be launched from, and you have a, a. And people, this is answering some of the questions that people have asked. You can't on a seventy-five or seventy-kilometer border, much of which is unoccupied. So you have to have people everywhere. You can't tell where they're going to launch from. They're using drones. They're using other means now to try and identify it, and they've given warnings. There are people even saying they should be treated as just as, as snipers are because they, they wreak havoc and they cause a lot of damage. So people, you know, come away inspired from the parade and those who watched it, those who heard about it, and couldn't make it for some reason, should make sure that they that we sustain this effort now. We really need it. We, we have real problems given some of the coverage. Um, I won't name the media right now, but everybody knows basically who, who, where it's coming from. 
and the the likelihood that we'll see today an escalation of um, of it as they synchronize Jerusalem Day, Al Quds Day, Naksa Day, the other terms that they uh, that they use to to describe the desire to er- to erase the history, just not just of fifty one years since the Six Day War, but of the seventy years it's since fun- Israel's creation. It's funny, and I'm glad you cleared this up for me, frankly, because I I, I didn't realize the whole thing with the uh, anniversaries. I just thought the last Friday of Ramadan that they you know step things up, so to speak, and. Uh, and protest more, and uh, and rally more, and demonstrate more. But I guess uh, that wouldn't make sense if Ramadan was at a different time of year, because as you said, the uh, on the secular calendar, the fifty first anniversary of the Six Day War and of the liberation of Jerusalem, they combine that into uh, one day and uh, are quote unquote observing it or protesting it on this Friday. On the other issue, here's the frustration among the observers. And again, I don't know to what degree we observers, you know, have the right to be frustrated, frankly. But the frustration is you, you've described to us or, or you've emphatically stated to us that this whole uh, strategy, this entire um, act of lighting these fire kites, sending them in and and uh, and, uh, you know, and causing all this damage uh, had been done before. Uh, that this wasn't new. This was a duplication of uh, of, um, of the type of activity the enemy has has um, uh, embarked on before. With that in mind, I just assumed. I think many other people did. That's why this frustration that there's a strategy how to defeat it. In other words, what did Israel do last time, or what have others done when this type of strategy is used against them? And it looks like, or it seems as as if it's just helplessness, and there's no way to stop it. Oh, there'll be ways. They'll they'll devise ways that will counter it using satellite projections and others. And you know what? That some of those who are responsible will have to pay a price for it until till it it stops. The um, and the use of drones can be can be helpful. Uh, the problem is that, as I said, the the scope and the area. You know, it, it's very interesting that there are so many armchair generals <laughs> who sit here in the United States, me included, in particular, no. not not including you. And this is <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about the ones who, uh, and some who are well-meaning, and but but they will go public and they will talk about why doesn't Israel use uh, water cannons? Why doesn't Israel use uh, rubber bullets? Why doesn't why doesn't Israel do? A, a, and they they haven't got a clue about what's involved along the Gaza border. That Israel tried water cannons, Israel tried water uh, rubber bullets. They don't work given the proximity, given the distances that are involved there. The lack of water, by the way, in the desert. But the the nature of these things is not one that where that would be uh, helpful, especially given the fact that the snipers are behind right. these people shooting, um, and and they don't care that the you know the human shields get killed. This woman who was killed. Was being used as a, you know the the one that everybody's protesting the nurse and mm-hmm. that she had her hands up she had her hands down. The fact is that she was a human shield, and the the um, you know the fact that that sometimes even leaders, uh, political leaders or or Jewish leaders, fall into this trap of of sitting here and telling Israel why didn't you do how don't you do it? They think the IDF doesn't want as much as anybody to avoid civilian casualties to avoid having to to use lethal force. Look at the fact that the 62, uh, 52 raids that they carried off uh, and others, there's no collateral damage. There's no civilians being killed. How pinpoint, how amazing. And yet nobody says, wow, look what the Israeli army did to avoid 
civilian casualties. The Israeli Air Force able to bomb in what is always described as the most densely populated area, and yet you see the the vast open areas where they're demonstrating, um, and yet and and nobody was uh, no civilians, Hamas nor the PA nor anyone else claimed or killed in that. Yeah. By the way, I think there was a male medic also that the suspicion from Israel's side is that uh, he was being used as a human shield. Come and on. many of them are dressed in civilian clothes when they are, in fact, uh, terrorists. Today, at the demonstrations, they're supposed to be coming out in Gaza with the concentration camp right. mock uniforms, yeah. which I think is an obscenity. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, all right, uh, let me do a couple of these items here. First of all, the Argentinian soccer team. Uh, do we know what went wrong here? I know they're blaming those who moved the game from Haifa to Jerusalem. That's just a convenient excuse. Uh, the BDS just basically won this one, right? Simple as that. Well, they put a lot of pressure on it. I think that it, it was more important that the game take place than where it take place in Israel. And so that's a decision that has to be discussed about when do you press for it, like the Eurovision discussion right now. Right. Um, that the if it's, whether it's held in Tel Aviv or Jerusalem, the important thing is that the billion who watch it around the world wish to see a program coming from Israel, a chance to highlight Israel, <coughs> rather than um, have a challenge. I don't believe you give in to the BDS. I don't believe that you succumb to these to the threats generally. But each case should be weighed and thought through um, carefully to see what the longer term manifestations will mean. And of course. As you said, the BDS people take advantage of what happened in Argentina, and that will encourage them to keep putting pressure, more and more pressure, uh, on them. So move and and, and there are also distortions. There were statements that Messi, the key player, and all this who BDS had, had targeted, uh, put out some anti-Israel quotes, and they turn out to be fake. Right. Um, so uh, not accusatory. Just asking. The, so if you you do feel that there might be a benefit to move Aerovision from Jerusalem to another city in Israel. And, and I believe it's something worth considering wow. and weighing uh, before making public pronouncements. Right, and you don't, and you would not necessarily look at that as caving into the uh, to those who are anti-Israel, those who are trying to keep it out of Israel. No, I don't believe it. I believe they're not keeping it out of Israel. Right, they're understood. They certainly don't want it in Jerusalem. Of, uh, right. Out of Jerusalem. Right. Uh, I, again, as you know, there's nobody who believes more strongly in pressing that issue. Right. But I think it's something that should be weighed and discussed. What are the, the uh, you know, you have to use game theory. You maximize the gains and you minimize the losses and see how it, it plays out. Right. Um, you mentioned earlier in this conversation about the, some of the things we need to be concerned about in this country. According to the ADL, 57% increase in anti-Semitic incidents. I'm assuming that's one year to the next. Um, why the spike? And by the way, is it some, somewhat distorted because often some uh, attacks or incidents get reported and others do not? It's still true, and it's still true that, and I believe still the vast majority of reports of, of incidents don't get reported, of course, if they're involving violence and, and right. more escalated incidents. What we call the extreme yes. cases, right? Right, but, but still, I believe most people don't report the day-to-day incidents but we have some very serious incidents, and we have stuff at Kingsborough College now. We have things at other campuses in New York, which are serious uh, matters of, of BDS, and, it, and no one should delude themselves that BDS is anti-Semitism. It's just a convenient cover for it. And the, the numbers increase. We see it in Europe. We see it uh, everywhere. Uh, it, it, there is better reporting, perhaps, and more attention paid to it. 
still uh, elected official um, police and others are reluctant to declare anti-Semitic incidents because that often brings in the civil rights division of and the FBI or others because it becomes a hate crime. Uh, so people have to. We have to educate people to report. We have to educate them how to address this issue, especially children in schools and uh, elsewhere, and to take preventative measures and to say. We're not going to dismiss it. Zero tolerance. Right. No more. Farrakhan's statements this past weekend should have been condemned by everybody, including those Congress people who met with him. And when they fail to do so, we have to call them to account. Uh, by the way, I, I spoke over the weekend with a cybersecurity, not, not to alarm anybody, but I thought it was an interesting point, a cybersecurity expert who brought to my attention the fact that a lot of synagogue databases which include the name and address of every member of their synagogue, are not secure enough and are either available online or available to hackers online. It would be a bad idea if certain people got a list of every Jewish home in town, if you know what I mean. It's true, and they should have good firewalls. Yeah. It's it's not that expensive, and they might even have members who are capable of helping to install them. First, we got to make them aware of it, but I'm sure they didn't even realize mm-hmm. it. Very important point. Never even thought of it before that conversation. It is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world and the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holine is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. So there was a uh, report about a, an assassination attempt on both the Prime Minister of Israel and the mayor of Jerusalem. Um, I guess a silly way to ask the question, how serious a threat was it? It's very serious, and they have broken the ring in, involved. I'm sure this is not the, the first such uh, plot, but a very serious one taken seriously by the, um, by the Mossad, the Bet, right. other groups uh, on an ongoing basis. Uh, monitor these things because you know today it's so easy everybody knows where the prime minister is <laughs> they they know what country he's in the announcement of trips gives them the advantage of being able to to go to paris to go to to london or or berlin and uh, we've seen in berlin how strong the the um, some of these movements have become the anti-israel manifestations and the growth of these things you have a large Muslim populations in, in many of these countries. You have certainly extremists of various kinds and the, the support of, of Iran, just as they support Hamas and Hezbollah, but they also support uh, some of these other groups, as does uh, uh, the Palestinian Authority has, and, and uh, we, we've seen it with Hamas, we've seen it in other um, places, and the ties, uh, even of groups involved in BDS, and supposedly BDS, but really put portrays their real interests who, who get support from um, from related elements. Yeah, and, and, and there are also international terror groups sponsored by certain states um, who represent states that wouldn't mind taking out the Prime Minister of Israel, we have to remember. So that's, that's right, and, and especially now. I mean, you, you look at Iran's uh, agenda, and the, first of all, that, that we see what the real agenda the people in the north and in the south of Israel, that Hamas, Hezbollah, these guys are not interested in the rights of their people, that they put them and their lives at risk. Uh, right now, perhaps Hezbollah is pulling back a little bit, but no one should should be dissuaded from, from uh, the assurance that the intent remains.
remains the same and that Iran will use them when they feel it's, it's appropriate. But we see the escalation uh, uh, of Iranian activity and that the response is always uh, to, to when they confront real strength, real determination, as the U.S. pullout from JCPOA has uh, turned increasingly turning out to be with every day new announcements of companies that are pulling out. Boeing announced that they're going to shelve the um, and, and not deliver the 90 planes. It was a $16 billion deal. Wow. <laughs> uh, uh, which got uh, very little coverage. Car imports in the last two months to Iran are down 77%. 77%, and that's, uh, I think, an important indicator of where the economy is, that the the um, that the same time when they're announcing a new facility for centrifuges in Natanz and, and talking about increasing their enrichment and the Europeans who have been running and, and doing head salts and saying how they would guarantee for the European businesses. Well, the European Investment Bank came out and said that they're not going to be able to overcome and they can't ignore the U.S. sanctions. And they rejected the economic plan <laughs> that the EU itself tried to put in um, uh, into into place. And we see the... the um, uh, while the Europeans, the three Europeans, uh, agreed that, that Syria, uh, that that uh, um, Iran should get out of Syria, and um, and all foreign forces, as they say, um, but th- they are at the same time trying to justify their decision and and will not admit that uh, that they are helpless. But the fact is that. Peugeot itself, and certainly an iconic name in, in Europe, uh, it backed out of a $400 million deal in the manufacture of cars in in, um, in Iran. The, the, um, uh, I can give you a list of a dozen companies, major international companies, Indian, Arab, uh, Chinese companies, others, who do business with the United States, who have infrastructure in the United States, are all pulling out. They're all canceling their deals. And this is is spreading uh, across Europe, and Europeans admit now that they're helpless in the face of this. They're going to have to go along. They're going to have to find some way to come to terms with the the U.S. uh, sanctions. So when they see strength, when they see this kind of determination, we see that they back off over and over again. And it's imperative that we keep the pressure on Iran right now. Their economy, the people is is teetering. The people inside the country, there's a huge drought. Major major areas now are not inhabitable. Rivers have have dried up. They of course don't get the assistance that Israel could give them in desalination other areas. But they they are really facing crises. And they have no ability to to deal with it. And think if we hadn't gotten 150 billion, how, how much more this could have been escalated. Yeah, and the man we have to thank for all of this is the uh, the person with the greatest show of strength, and that's President Trump. Frankly, uh, I would I would guess these companies, just like the enemy, has uh, you know th- th- been very watchful about how he behaves and what his statements. Uh, uh, what he has to say, and so too with these companies to see. And, and Iran makes a public appeal for help from its friends against the bullying by President Trump. <laughs> Does that tell you how how, how uh, defensive they've become and how impactful? And and we've only seen the beginning of this, but when the major refiners, when the shipping companies tell ships don't carry this thing because we're not going to be able to guarantee the results, uh, the insurance of of the of it, and and so many of them are just not doing it. Hit them in the pocketbook. 
And that's exactly what's going on. It's amazing. I didn't, I didn't even think of the insurance angle. How there's so many steps in the distribution of these products that, and, and each one of those steps, you know, there are people who are afraid to, to move forward. They may end up getting stiffed on the whole deal. And we have to be careful not to see, not that Iran doesn't just strike out and try to create, uh, uh, escalate the heat in different places. But with them under the pressure they are in Syria coming from the Russians and everyone else, Russia calling what I think stunned the Iranians when they, they said that they want them out and that they would not cooperate with any of the actions uh, with the Syrian army if Iran is a, or the militias are allowed to to participate. And one of the places I think we have to watch, and I'm very worried about, is in Jordan, where the demonstrations continue against the king. This is the eighth day. Um, it's not so much against the king. They, they focused on the prime minister, uh, Moki, who is out, and Omar Razaz is the new prime minister. Uh, Jordan is the critical buffer between Iraq and Israel and Iran's aspirations, also ISIS, that the stability of Jordan can have massive security implications for Israel, and especially population being two-thirds Palestinian, all the rest that people uh, people know. But the World Bank is demanding that they lift the subsidies that they pay for basic uh, items um, that the government provides, and that that's exactly what the people are demonstrating against lifting it. And because the economic conditions are bad, they're not, their pay isn't increasing. Um, and they're also, the World Bank is also saying that they're not going to give any of the loans or release any of the loans until they they um, make major reforms in the, in the budget and government spending. So I think these protests could be around there. They're trying to come up with some patchwork solutions for now, but this is not going to address the fundamental weaknesses in, in the Jordanian economy. And, uh, you know, the, the Israel is very invested in Israel, in Jordan's stability, especially the security of the regime, the king. But by the way, I'm, and I'm, I'm sorry to go off topic for a second, but the uh, your, your uh, daily email just showed up uh, on our screen, just popped up here. Israel's medical team lands in Guatemala. Uh, can we just take a minute to remind the world, especially all of us, that Israel, again, like in all these natural disasters around the world, when asked or when when their 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 offer for help is accepted, they're on the way. And sure enough, their medical team and extra. And did you see the scenes from Guatemala? My gosh, I mean, we've seen earthquake scenes. We've seen disaster like this. This was unique in how unbelievably hor- horrible it looked. And now Israel's there, of course, to help. You're absolutely right. This is uh, the, the scenes there are horrific, and you know they're now just in trying to recover bodies. I don't think that there's even search and rescue uh, right. uh, before. So, uh, what's important again? People called me yesterday, certainly well intentioned, and because there was a report that Israel had uh, promised ten thousand dollars, pledged ten thousand dollars towards this, and. Um, and yet, this was just a pledge from the foreign ministry, from its meager budget, an assistance budget, that they were giving $10,000. But the government of Israel, and maybe it's their fault for not publicizing it early enough, and I called right away to, to make sure that this is uh, you know, not the case, um, that they are sending this massive assistance to the government of Guatemala. As you know, they moved their embassy, and President Morales and others took the courageous steps, and Israel is showing, again, its appreciation. But <laughs> they've had a, a steady record of doing this, and, you know, they get very little credit for 
being the out there and, and spending the money. People have to remember, Israel's a small country. Uh, these are big expenditures for it. It's it's valid and it's important to do it. But the uh, you know again the criticism first and then very yeah. little praise after there. Yeah, of course they do this. Uh, they are there because uh, they want to help the victims of the uh, Fuega volcano. And again, if you see the uh, damage that this volcano has done, uh, ladies and gentlemen, any newscast or anywhere on the web, it is simply horrific. And Israel is there uh, to help out. Kol Hakavod. By the way, um, I noticed that in one of the stories earlier in the week that Iron Dome was in action again. Uh, what, are things quiet right now when it comes to rockets coming from Gaza or not? No, it's not the rockets right now. As I said, the major problem are the uh, the kites and the... Uh, right, but Iron Dome was utilized a few days ago, right? Iron Dome was used this week right. against some uh, mortars and, and things that were fired against Israel. But that part is, is uh, more quiet, uh, though it can escalate at any time. So there's, it's, there's no guarantee what any of this, what it will mean. It's it's um, it, you know it's very expensive when Israel has to fire know, the, the the Iron Dome. People say, well, why don't they just shoot it? Why don't they just shoot it? Because <laughs> they have to weigh it, and they the computers determine if a, a if a mortar or a rocket is going to land in an open field, then they will not fire it because it costs too much money to do it every time, and you have to make sure the rockets are there for the really critical ones that may hit civilian uh, populations or civilian areas. And, and and do damage as we saw when they they hit that kindergarten just a few uh, half hour or so before the children would have been there. Uh, by the way, uh, Ambassador Friedman uh, was pretty strong regarding the media coverage of what's happening in Gaza. I think he spoke more strongly than any U.S. ambassador, frankly, has in the past on a topic like this. Uh, did I did I dream it or did I read it? That Israel actually invited um, a bunch of journalists, tens of journalists, to come to Gaza and up close and personal see what's happening. To, they invited people to be embedded and to to watch and to see. But it, it, you know the facts here are pretty clear. Yeah. It, you know this is not one of those cases where there are you know these are kind of clandestine areas. Or we don't know what's going on. Their big complaint, the big complaint to the media, is that there are no Israeli casualties. They keep saying disproportionality. What's disproportionate? Some ministers, you know, showed the number of Brits that were killed and the number of Germans were killed in World War II. Do, you, do we have to raise the number of allies who were killed in order to justify the, the killing of the enemy, the people responsible? That because this the particular topography and because Israel was able to stop them before they could reach a civilian village or, or a kibbutz on the border of Gaza, that that's, that is the issue, and that's why it's to be criticized, because not enough Jews were killed. And that is what is the frustrating a lot of the media, and their, their reporting does not take into account, does not discuss the snipers. They hardly mention the fact that, that even Hamas says the vast majority were, were their operatives, which they admitted for other reasons, not, I think, anticipating how it was exact, actually exposing them uh, the, and the truth of what, of, of what was happening uh, to the world. By the way, I was incorrect based on the uh, on the, the email that you guys sent out this morning. It was, in fact, the same story. It was the female medic that you referenced uh, who uh, took great pride in being a human shield. Mm -hmm. um, and it was not a, not a separate account of any male medic that I thought I'd read about. Also, the um, uh, there was an item on 
There was an item on Iran. Oh, excuse me, an item on Syria. The uh, is it true? Is it possibly true that one of the former members of the now administration is right that he was ready, meaning the prime minister, to negotiate the Golan with Assad? Um, you know, the former people have a tendency, and 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 in this case, it's because uh, the files are released. You know, you, they they are kept secret for. Right. 50 years now, we're in the 51st year, so it doesn't, it, it, a lot of files of the internal discussions are being released from the Six-Day War from other periods, and sometimes um, they take license because of that to discuss other issues. Uh, do I believe that it's possible that Prime Minister was willing to have some negotiations and exploratory negotiations? Yes. I don't think it ever came to, down to, to a, a formal deal. Right. And this and it was just funny. It's the same day that the report came out, how the prime minister wants to concentrate on on continuing to grow and build the uh, communities of the Golan. And in very significant ways, they're talking yeah. about a big increase over the next years uh, for um, uh, in, in, the, in the Golan area. And the fact that they will never talk about any more about returning it and just think for all of those, again, the armchair politicians and generals <laughs> yeah. who kept saying Israel should withdraw, Israel should take advantage of the opportunity. Think of what would have happened if Syria were in the hands of, uh, of the Golan was in the hands of Syria today, or worse. And and, and what what Israel's um, the internal and, and external security situations would have been in the north. Yeah, Malcolm, yesterday, Pastor Edmonds from down in uh, Tennessee joined us. His father... Uh, Roddy Edmonds, Staff Sergeant Roddy Edmonds, was uh, the leader of a POW camp in Germany from January of '48 until uh, January of '45 to liberation, and um, he was told by the Nazi commander, the major, to separate to uh, to uh, separate the Jewish prisoners from the others and have only the Jewish prisoners come out to the next roll call so that they could deal with the Jewish prisoners. At which point, he commanded the 1,300 POWs, all of them of all backgrounds. Uh, to be at that roll call, and the German officer says to him, approaches him and says, that all these people can't be Jews. And he says to the German officer, we are all Jews here. At which point the German officer puts a gun to his head and tells him he has to separate it. And at which point he responds by saying, Major, you could shoot and kill all of us. Soon we're going to be liberated. This war will be over and you'll be charged with war crimes. And the Major uh, cowered in fear as the... Uh, as the uh, description goes, and uh, there was never a discussion of any of this again until Liberation. It's now a movie, and I mention it, first of all, to, to, to remind everybody in the context of our conversation of some of the amazing stories and her- heroes of Jewish history. Uh, um, Pastor Edmund's father was the um, only American GI till this point to be recognized as Righteous Among the Nations by Yad Vashem. And the movie, and I didn't want anyone to think otherwise, when we said that the movie premieres in New York on Friday, I think a lot of people reacted that we were promoting something that's Friday night. It's actually 12.20 today, at 12.20 p.m. today, Footsteps of My Father premieres at 323 6th Avenue in New York. So don't think, folks, that this was a promotion of anything happening tonight. It's happening today at 12.20 p.m., Pretty amazing story, and uh, and and you know Malcolm because because we, we know history and we know something about Nazi atrocities. They certainly could have gunned down every one of those POWs at that point. A hundred percent, and they did in many instances uh, do so. 
but this was a tremendous act of resistance. There have been others, but here you have the documented account, and I hope that everybody in the age when we see too much indifference to anti-Semitism yep. and, and the rising tensions that people be inspired by it, both from within our community to stand up and speak out and those who are friends and, uh, and who understand that, that if you don't take a moral stand, everybody becomes the victim of it. No question about it. And what an example that is. And and um, as one of the GIs, because they found four of the GIs still alive that are in the documentary, four Jewish ones who were standing right next to him when he was speaking to the Nazi major. Uh, as they said, he didn't just save 200 Jews. He saved generations and generations and generations. And that's another thing to keep in mind as well. One act. Hey, it's it's Arab Shabbos Parsha Shlach, Malcolm. One act can have a... A reverberating effect for many generations, and the most, and the, one of the most important messages is where the people came back, the ten, and said that they we were like grasshoppers in their eyes, the yeah. Hagadim, and and it doesn't say that the giants said it; it's they said it, and they're ascribing it to the to to their, their perception, which means that that was the perception of themselves. And, and and so the first step is how we see ourselves, that if we see ourselves as weak and incapable and cowering, then that's how they will, we will be seen and how we will be treated. And when you stand up, as we saw regarding Iran now and in other ways, that if you if you have the courage, if you have the understanding and that, that we have a mandate from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we have, we have uh, a commitment, and especially when it comes to the land, and see some of those who so glibly are willing to engage in public manifestations against Israel or regarding some of the issues. You can have differences of opinion, but the the um, the price can be very heavy. So people should be very careful with their words and with their deeds and act not like not like grasshoppers. But the giants could have been taken on and dealt with. And the fact that Yeshua, Joshua, and Caleb saw it and recognized it, they all saw the same thing, but it was separated by one word. But and if we keep focusing on the butts, why we can't do it, why it can't be done, it can be done. You saw that the embassy is in Jerusalem. There are no more demonstrations. You see that the uh, the standing up to Iran and all the predictions that JCPOA, we will have, a, you know, a whole world will erupt. And we have volcanoes, but it's not related to the JCPOA. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, brilliant uh, presentation regarding uh, uh, this week's Parsha. Much appreciated. Thank you so much for your time. We reconvene Bezrat Hashem next week. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Good Shabbos. Be well. There he is, Malcolm Holmline, Executive Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos here at JM in the AM.